Here at Vermont's last theater, we missed paying a 200th birthday tribute last year to Walt Whitman, who was born on May 31, 1819. Today we aim to make up for that grievous oversight by hearing about Whitman from the man who gave the oration at his funeral and by playing some recordings of Kurt Vile's settings of Whitman poems. Happy 201st birthday, Walt! Robert Ingersoll, who would wind up speaking at Whitman's funeral, was a Civil War veteran and an orator of the post-Civil War era, known especially for his ardent support of people's right, yes, even American people's right, not to believe in God. Ingersoll introduced himself to Whitman in March of 1880 by letter. My dear sir, for years I have been your debtor. From you I have received thousands of noble and splendid thoughts. You have been true. You have expressed your honest thought. You have nobly defended the human body and the sacred passions of man from the infamous slanders of the theologian. For this I thank you. I have taken the liberty to send you three small volumes of my own. You may not agree with me. That will make no difference. I am battling for the right of people to disagree. Thanking you again and again for all your noble words and wishing you many happy years. I remain your friend, R.G. Ingersoll. like a ruthless force into the solemn church and scatter the congregation into the school where the scholar is studying he thought the bridegroom quiet though happiness must he have now with his bride nor the peaceful farmer any peace plowing his field or gathering his grave Trunks, so shrill, you bugles blow. Beat, beat, drums. Blow, bugles blow. Over the traffic of cities, over the rumble of wheels in the street. A bed prepared for sleepers at night in the houses. Must sleep in those beds. No bargainers, bargains by day. No brokers or speculators would they continue. Would the talkers be talking? Would the singer attempt to sing? Would the lawyer rise in the court to state his case before the judge? Then record quicker, heavier drums, you bogus wild of Postulation, mind not the timid, mind not the weeper of prayer, mind not the old man beseeching the young man. Let not the child's voice be heard, nor the mother's entreaties. Make even the trestles to shake the dead when they lie awaiting the hearses. So strong 
Whitman said of Ingersoll, It should not be surprising that I am drawn to Ingersoll, for he is leaves of grass. He lives, embodies the individuality I preach. I see in Bob the noblest specimen, American-flavored, pure out of the soil, spreading, giving, demanding light. Given that Walt came to consider Ingersoll the greatest orator of his time, it's also not surprising that Ingersoll delivered the oration at Whitman's funeral which took place in Camden, New Jersey, on March 30, 1892. Here is the first part of that oration. My friends, again we, in the mystery of life, are brought face to face with the mystery of death. A great man, a great American, the most eminent citizen of this republic, lies dead before us, and we have met to pay a tribute to his greatness and his worth. I know he needs no words of mine, his fame is secure. He laid the foundations of it deep in the human heart and brain. He was, above all I have known, the poet of humanity, of sympathy. He was so great that he rose above the greatest that he met without arrogance, and so great that he stooped to the lowest without conscious condescension. He never claimed to be lower or greater than any of the sons of men. He came into our generation a free, untrammeled spirit with sympathy for all. His arm was beneath the form of the sick. He sympathized with the imprisoned and despised, and even on the brow of crime he was great enough to place the kiss of human sympathy. One of the greatest lines in our literature is his, and the line is great enough to do honor to the greatest genius that has ever lived. He said, speaking of an outcast, not till the sun excludes you do I exclude you. His charity was as wide as the sky, and wherever there was human suffering, human misfortune, the sympathy of Whitman bent above it as the firmament bends above the earth. He was built on a broad and splendid plain, ample without appearing to have limitations, passing easily for a brother of mountains and seas and constellations caring nothing for the little maps and charts with which timid pilots hug the shore, but giving himself freely with recklessness of genius to winds and waves and tides, caring for nothing as long as the stars were above him. He walked among men, among writers, among verbal varnishers and veneerers, among literary milliners and tailors with the unconscious majesty of an antique, he was the poet of that divine democracy which gives equal rights to all the sons and daughters of men. He uttered the great American voice, uttered a song worthy of the great republic. No man ever said more for the rights of humanity, more in favor of real democracy, of real justice. He neither scorned nor cringed, was neither tyrant nor slave. He asked only 
to stand the equal of his fellows beneath the great flag of nature, the blue and stars. He was the poet of life. It was a joy simply to breathe. He loved the clouds. He enjoyed the breath of morning, the twilight, the wind, the winding streams. He loved to look at the sea when the waves burst into the white caps of joy. He loved the fields, the hills. He was acquainted with the trees, with birds, with all the beautiful objects of the earth. He not only saw these objects, but understood their meaning, and he used them that he might exhibit his heart to his fellow men. Come up from the fields, father, here's a letter from our Pete, and come to the front for mother, here's a letter from thy dear son. She does not tarry to move her hand, nor adjust her hand. Open the envelope quickly, for this is not our son's writing, yet his name is signed, for a strange hand fights for the sun. Ingersoll's oration continues. He was the poet of love. He was not ashamed of that divine passion that has built every home in the world that divine passion that has painted every picture and given us every real work of art, that divine passion that has made the world worth living in and has given some value to human life. He was the poet of the natural and taught men not to be ashamed of that which is natural. He was not only the poet of democracy, not only the poet of the great republic, but he was the poet of the human race. He was not confined to the limits of this century, but his sympathy went out over the seas to all the nations of the earth. He stretched out his hand and felt himself the equal of all kings and of all princes, and the brother of all men, no matter how high, no matter how low. He has uttered more supreme words than any writer of our century, possibly of almost any other. 
He was, above all things, a man. And above genius, above all the snow-capped peaks of intelligence, above all art, rises the true man. Greater than all is the true man, and he walked among his fellow men as such. He was the poet of death. He accepted all life and all death, and he justified it all. He had the courage to meet all, and was great enough and splendid enough to harmonize all, and to accept all there is of life as a divine melody. You know better than I what his life has been. But let me say one thing. Knowing, as he did, what others can know and what they cannot, he accepted and absorbed all theories, all creeds, all religions, and believed in none. His philosophy was a sky that embraced all clouds and accounted for all clouds. He had a philosophy and a religion of his own, broader, as he believed, and as I believe, than others. He accepted all, he understood all, and he was above all. He was absolutely true to himself. He had frankness and courage, and he was as candid as light. He was willing that all the sons of men should be absolutely acquainted with his heart and brain. He had nothing to conceal. Captain, our fearful trip is done. The ship has weathered every storm. The prize we sought is won. The port is near, the bells I hear, the people all exulting. While follow lies the steady keel, the vessel.
And now the conclusion of Ingersoll's funeral oration. Frank, candid, pure, serene, noble. And yet for years he was maligned and slandered simply because he had the candor of nature. He will be understood yet. And that for which he was condemned, his frankness, his candor, will add to the glory and greatness of his fame. He wrote a liturgy for mankind. He wrote a great and splendid psalm of life. And he gave to us the gospel of humanity. The greatest gospel that can be preached. He was not afraid to live, not afraid to die. For many years he and death were near neighbors. He was always willing and ready to meet and greet this king called Death, and for many months he sat in the deepening twilight, waiting for the night, waiting for the light. He never lost his hope. When the mists filled the valleys, he looked upon the mountaintops, and when the mountains in darkness disappeared, he fixed his gaze upon the stars. In his brain were the blessed memories of the day, and in his heart were mingled the dawn and dusk of life. He was not afraid. He was cheerful every moment. The laughing nymphs of day did not desert him. They remained that they might clasp the hands and greet with smiles the veiled and silent sisters of the night. And when they did come, Walt Whitman stretched his hand to them. On one side were the nymphs of the day, and on the other the silent sisters of the night. And so, hand in hand, between smiles and tears, he reached his journey's end. From the frontier of life, from the western wave-kissed shore, he sent us messages of content and hope. And these messages seem now like strains of music, blown by the mystic trumpeter from death's pale realm. Today... We give back to Mother Nature, to her clasp and kiss, one of the bravest, sweetest souls that ever lived in human clay. Charitable as the air, and generous as nature, he was negligent of all except to do and say 
what he believed he should do and should say. And I today thank him, not only for you, but for myself, for all the brave words he has uttered. I thank him for all the great and splendid words he has said in favor of liberty, in favor of man and woman, in favor of motherhood, in favor of fathers, in favor of children. And I thank him for the brave words that he has said of death. He has lived, he has died, and death is less terrible than it was before. Thousands and millions will walk down into the dark valley of the shadow, holding Walt Whitman by the hand. Long after we are dead, the brave words he has spoken will sound like trumpets to the dying. And so I lay this little wreath upon this great man's tomb. I loved him living, and I love him still. Before we close, let me offer this prophecy Walt made more than 150 years ago. It probably will not be long until the churches will divide us as sharply upon political as upon theological questions. And when that day comes, if there are not liberals enough to hold the balance of power, this government will be destroyed. The liberty of man is not safe in the hands of any church. America, center of equal daughters, equal sons, all, all alike and dear. Grown, ungrown, young or old, strong, ample, fair, enduring, capable, rich, perennial with the earth, with freedom, law, and love. This is Alex Hancock for the podcast project of Fermat's Last Theater. Nick Berevic Hancock read the words of Robert Ingersoll. All four of the Whitman poems were set to music by Kurt Weil. Beat, Beat, Drums, and Dirge for Two Veterans were sung by Ian Bostridge with Antonio Papano at the piano. Wolfgang Holtzmeyer sang Come Up from the Fields, Father, accompanied by the Robert Schumann Chamber Orchestra. O Captain, My Captain was sung by Jerry Hadley with Eric Dahlheim at the piano. Our opening and closing music today is the traditional song Deep River, as arranged by Samuel Coleridge Taylor and Sheku Kane Mason, played by the Kane Mason Trio. Isata Kane Mason Piano, Brahma Kane Mason Violin, and Sheku Kane Mason Cello.